Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And Raider Nation, it's very rare that the first thing I talk about when we come into the show and we take over the airwaves is what's going on with Wimbledon. But I'll tell you right now, I don't get locked in in a whole lot of tennis, but right now there is a fantastic match going on in Wimbledon where Serena Williams is in uh, in action right now. She is in the third set. She lost the first set 7 to 5. She won the second set 6 to 1. Third set right now is 4-4 and she's up 40-15 has a couple break points to take a little bit of a lead in this third and final set. And I'm literally Demon, I'm stressed out watching this. I'm stressed out watching this because Serena Williams is one of my favorite tennis players. I know she's getting a little bit older now, actually a lot of bit older, and it's not just what it used to be, but, man, Serena is still Serena. So when she's in action, I'm all locked in, and literally right now I am all the way 100% locked in on what's going on, and currently it's 40-30. to 30. She has her second break point here in this third and final set. I'm fascinated, man. I really am. I can tell. I'm looking at you. Are you ready to do this show? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we no. going to be doing live commentary on the No, match? I'm just saying, man, that there's certain things that sometimes you just have to you have to be able to appreciate. And, and when there's someone who is iconic as Serena Williams, you've got to be able to appreciate that. Do you realize she turned pros 27 years ago? Man, she just hit a big shot. And now, now I'm watching it, too. Yeah, see? Now, look. <laughs> see how quickly you got? See? You're locked in just like that. She is up 5-4 in the final set. This is the first round. It's only going to get tougher even if she wins this one. But you could tell by the look on her face she's exhausted. She was up early in, in the first set and, and, and fell behind and lost that one. She steamrolled through the second set. There was a 30-minute match. I mean, it was just incredible. And now she's on the verge of winning in the third set and moving on to the second round. And she'll be back in action on Thursday. And, Look, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm new to the Las Vegas Airways, so you're not used to this, Damon, but whenever there's a high-profile tennis event on like this and Serena's in action, everyone in Central Texas used to always know, like, oh, man, Q is going to be worthless this afternoon because Serena's on. And, and, the, and what's so funny is in the studios that I had in Central Texas, the TV was behind me. So I'm up here trying to talk on the radio and turn around and look at the TV at the same time. And then I'd see, like, my co-host's eyes get big. And I'm like, oh, what just happened? So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm locked in right now. But uh, I'll let you know how it do, how she do uh, coming up in this next game, uh, in this next match. Hopefully she closes things out and make it do what it do. So uh, excited about that. Wimbledon's going on. I'll tell you this, little side note. I guarantee you Mama Q's been up since, like, 1 or 2 a.m. this morning watching tennis all day, all morning long. She loves her some tennis. That's where I got it from. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, there's not too much better than when it comes to Wimbledon action. I'm not really a big men's tennis fan i'm just really not i mean there's some some guys that i'm a big fan of back in the day i was a big fan of a bunch of guys but now it's not really that way but 
the women's game, like Coco Goff has won. She won earlier today. That was that was fun to watch. Uh, of, of course, Serena is one of my favorites. So there's a few of the young ladies that I think are, are, are really up and coming, and they're great. But uh, Serena's an oldie but goodie for me, so uh, I'm hoping she wins this one. Yeah, Did you think that we were going to start the show with four minutes of tennis talk? No, I didn't. I was just going <laughs> to add, you know, speaking of tennis, on the men's side, $12, you know, that was going to win me 100 if Rafa Nadal wins. Putting down 12 to win 100. Well, you know so what? It all. Let's go, baby. You know what you just did? You have no idea what you just did. You have just created a monster. Mama Q is now a DeMond fan. Yeah. Rafael Nadal is her guy. Like, she loves her some Rafa. That's what she calls him, Rafa. She's like, we're on a first-name basis. I'm like, Mom, she, he, he don't know you. But it's okay. I'm not going <laughs> to bust her bubble. <laughs> She just texted me and said, you're right about that. So there you go. You are uh, you have made a friend in, in Mama Q. I can never say anything bad about you again because you're a Rafael Nadal. At least you put some money on him. So there you go. I don't know how big of a fan you are, but uh, you're a fan today, right? So <laughs> well, He's one of the goats. Come on. Mama Q knows. <laughs> she does. She does. She knows her stuff. I'm not mad at her at all. So uh, well, I'll continue to update you on this uh, as it shakes out right now. Uh, Serena's serving for the, the match, and she's down 15 love in the third and final set. So we'll get you caught up on that. But coming up on the show today, this is going to be like one of those goat days for me. I mean, a lot of times we have a lot of guests. We'll have four or five guests in the show, and that's great. And then sometimes we'll just have like two guests that are fantastic, and that's just even better. Than, you know, sometimes it's, it's more about the quality than even the quantity. Today it is a, quant- it's a quality type show. I'm excited about it. Howard Bryant is going to join us at 2.30. HowardBryantBooks.com. Google him. He wrote the book about my hero, Ricky Henderson. Yeah, I had someone, I tweeted out that he was going to be on the show, and someone's like, you got Ricky on the show today? And I was like, no, no. Now, if I got Ricky on the show, it'd be, all, it'd be a whole other situation, right? I'd really lose my mind. But, uh, yeah, Howard Bryant, he wrote the book, The Life and Legend of American Original in Ricky Henderson, and I've said it so many times, that is my favorite athlete of all time. Uh, I, I just like his swagger. I like his style. I mean, I liked everything about him. He's a Bay Area guy. He's an Oakland dude. He's a Raider fan. He's an Oakland A through and through. I mean, you just everything about him I like. First ballot Hall of Famer. So to be able to talk to Howard, and I can tell you this, Damon, a lot of times I'll be like, hey, you want to chime in on this interview? Literally in this interview coming up with Howard, me and him could just talk for like 30, 30 minutes. It would be good. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to fall can, back. I'll fall back. You can jump in at any time, but in this situation, with me knowing as much as I do about Ricky Henderson, I mean, literally, I used to have every newspaper clipping on my wall. I used to argue with people when they used to tell me, oh, he's not the greatest of all time. I was like, what are you talking about? And I would really get angry about it. Like, like I had to defend Ricky. Like, he couldn't defend himself with just his action. But, uh, man, I used to go all the way in. And my best friend growing up, uh, she was a big Jose Caseco fan, so me and her used to beef all the time because I'm a Ricky fan. And, she was a Caseco fan, and she even likes that damn uh, car wash that we have around the corner from the radio station, that Jose Caseco car wash. <laughs> I said, yeah, he is washed. I know he's out here in uh, Las Vegas all the time over at the, uh, over at the, uh, the ballpark. As the matter of fact, with the lights, right? The, he, he's out there doing all kinds of events with the, with the lights, having softball games and all this other stuff and home run derbies. And Jose Caseco is going to Jose Caseco. He's a whole other dude. But I'm excited to talk about Ricky Henderson coming up at 2.30, man. I'm fired up. That was a good get. Good job, DeMond. Sometimes I do it just for you. Hey, man, sometimes you got to. 
You got to. This one, like I said, I'm super excited and fired up to talk about this book. And I'll tell you this, I ordered the book this morning. So it's going to be here on July 7th. It will be at the crib. It'll be at the house on July 7th. Uh, excited about it. I've been seeing it for a while, and it's so funny because every time I see him on Twitter putting out something about the book or talking about the book or how much fun he had talking with Ricky, and, and you know, it's just like, I got to go get the book. I got to get the book. And then when you told me he was going to be a guest on the show today, I was like, well, Ain't no time but the present. Go ahead and make it happen. So I went ahead and ordered that book earlier today, so it'll be here on July 7th. So we'll talk to Howard Bryant coming up at 2.30 about his book that he put out on Ricky Henderson, The Life and Legend of a a American Original. So excited about that. Coming up at 3 o'clock, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. He'll join us. He's our normal Tuesday guest. He'll talk all things NFL. Of course, we'll deep dive into Deshaun Watson and everything going on with that situation. Uh, We'll talk about Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin. He got paid today, another wide receiver, uh, cashing another check. You know, get in the bag again, like they say, right? They get the bags. Well, they're definitely getting the bags. So we'll talk to him about all things going on in the NFL. And uh, and that'll be at 3 o'clock. John McClain, formerly of the Houston Chronicle. And those are the only two guests that we have today. Uh, we got a lot to get to, though. Uh, of course, we're going to hear from you throughout the course of the show at 702-365-9200. That's the Radio Nation listener line. Sam and Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R. We got some sound from Good Morning Football that was uh, on NFL Network this morning. And I did not have any idea until someone pointed it out. I had no idea that that Zoom call I was on with Derek Carr that I was talking about yesterday was going to end up on Good Morning Football this morning. I had no idea. And someone tweeted it at me and was like, hey, Q, I saw you on NFL Network this morning. I was like, no way. And I looked at it. I was like, yep, yeah, okay. That's me. Wave cap and all. I was just about to say that. <laughs> well, I mean, look, I got a headset on, so I had the wave cap on because I was like, well, I don't want to mess up the waves while I have this headset on. And, you know, I didn't know that it was going to end up on Good Morning Football. And then what's even worse, and a lot of people pointed it out, as I'm listening to what Derek has to say, and this happens a lot while, you know, you're interviewing someone or, or if you're doing sideline reporting and you're interviewing someone, like whatever they're saying, like you're understanding what they're saying, so you're, you know, agreeing with them or nodding your head. And I didn't realize how many times I nodded my head. And so now everyone's like, oh, Q. Look like there's a computer glitch or something because your head keeps nodding. I was like, no, no, it's not a computer glitch. It's me. I did it. I, it's, you know, again, it was a Zoom call. I didn't think I was going to end up on NFL Network on Good Morning Football, but there you go. And they actually made a whole show basically around it about, uh, not about me, obviously, but about Derek Carr and the Raiders and what he had to say. And, you know, we talked about it in great length on yesterday's show about having that little bit of an edge and a little bit of a chip on the shoulder and all that. So obviously, tomorrow we were onto something because Good Morning Football, NFL Network picked it up. Exactly, and it goes to the point where people say they're not talking about us. Man, I mean, they they taking the news. You're making the news, Q, and then they're bringing it to Good Morning Football. That was pretty good. I mean, you're you're right. You know, it's so funny. We talk about it all the time. All the Raiders aren't getting talked about enough. Now they're getting talked about on the big stage. They have multiple analysts talking about them, and you know some people agree they're not being talked about enough. Others on Good Morning Football said, no, actually, they're talked about all the time. So we'll let you hear some of that coming up later on the show as well. We'll have Cover 3 NFL News and Notes of the Day coming up around 3.30. And, of course, we'll continue to monitor what's going on with Serena Williams at, the, uh, at, at Wimbledon right now as it's tied up at 5, and she's up 30-15. to 15. She's trying to break uh, Tan. Uh, Tan is from France, and uh, I don't know her first name, so I'm just going to call her Tan because, well, that's what it says. So uh, there you go. And uh, so I'm obviously going to keep you updated on that. But uh, with that being said, Demar, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. 
You know, so I, I really have been thinking about the Raiders roster. We talk about the Raiders roster quite a bit. We talk about the playmakers. Of course, we know the big-time playmakers. We know the Darren Wallers. We know the Max Crosbys, the Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfros, you know, Chandler Jones. We, we know the big-time names, Denzel Perrymans and all that. But I continue to look up and down the roster, and I continue to want to tip the cap a little bit to the old regime that brought in a lot of young talent that I believe that the Raiders have. Now, of course, that young talent has to continue to develop, but what we've been able to see from uh, – a few of these guys, you, you see some promise. You know, like a Nate Hobbs is a perfect example. I think that's a guy that everyone feels pretty confident is going to be a really good player. But there's other guys. Trayvon Merrick is another one. You feel pretty confident he's going to be a really good player. But there's guys like a Divine Diablo, a Tyree Gillespie, a Malcolm Koontz. There's others that Alex Leatherwood, obviously he's got a lot to prove coming up in year two. But there's, there's some guys that you, you look at and you kind of feel pretty confident about, right? And then the new regime has brought in some players as well. Dylan Parham was a third-round pick. Of course, they got Zamir White, the running back out of Georgia, grabbed a couple defensive tackles, Matthew Butler, Neil, Neil Farrell Jr. Uh, they got those guys. So there's, there's a lot of young dudes on the squad. So I really wanted to ask and throw out there, again, the Raider Nation listener line is 702-365-9200 and the Sam and Ash text line is 69187, keyword r What young player on the Raiders roster are you most excited about? Either you're excited about this person because you know they're going to be good or you're excited about this person because you think that they have a chance to be good. So I want to know what young player on the Raiders roster you're most excited about and why. And I'll tell you the guy that I think I'm the most fired up about, and it's not even – and I don't even know if we're going to see the full meal deal this season. I don't even know if you're going to come out of this upcoming season and saying, wow, that guy's great. But I just think that the potential that this young player has is going to be there. And I've been talking about him for a while since he got drafted, and – uh-oh. Oh, my mom said Rafa won. Okay. <laughs> I thought she was I, – I just got sidetracked because I thought that she was, like, ahead of me, and she was telling me that Serena just lost, and I was about to lose my mind. But that was not it. She said Rafa won. So that's a good thing. So there you go, Damon. Uh, there's, your, there's your bet that you needed. So you, do you need him to win more? I need him to win the whole thing. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, there, there's a good chance. There's a good chance that it happens. But anyway, getting back to the player that I'm excited about and, and I think has a great opportunity to be really good is Malcolm Kuntz, man. I really look at Malcolm Coots on the defensive side of the ball, and I know we didn't get to see a lot from him last year. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot from him this year. I think he's going to be a part of a healthy rotation, but it's not going to be something where he's in there all the time. If you look at who's along the defensive line, you know, so you know he's not going to be in there all the time, or at least we think that he's not going to be in there all the time unless he goes out and really proves something during training camp. But I heard Jason Fitz talking about him this morning on the morning tailgate with Clay Baker and Vinny Bonsignor, and he was talking about the fact that he had uh, interacted a a lot with Kuntz's uh, uh, college coach, and now his college coach is now at Kansas. And he was saying, you know, he asked him straight up, like, what do you get out of Malcolm Kuntz? What, What are the Raiders, what should they be getting? And he said specifically, and this is what really, you know, kind of got the wheels turning today, was the fact that, Malcolm Kuntz is a guy who he's not going to learn the quickest, but he's going to learn if you give him the opportunity. And, and I think that that was a perfect example of what we saw last year. You didn't see him in there a whole lot. I don't have the, you know, the stats in front of me as far as how many snaps he played, but I do know he had, I think, three sacks, and it was a very limited amount of uh, snaps. I know we've had this conversation before about the production of Malcolm Kuntz. I think if he just gets a little bit of an uptick in, in, in reps – and snaps out there on the field defensively, I think you're going to start to see him kind of take off. And then maybe the following year, 
he's really that dude. You know, he shows up to be uh, a big-time playmaker. But, I mean, it could happen as early as this year. You know, I'm not trying to limit him and say, hey, he has to, he has to come along slowly. But I just think that he's one of those guys that is just going to – it may take a little bit longer to develop, but you can see he's got the traits. And that's what I think intrigues me the most about Malcolm Kuntz is the traits that he has. You know, when he came out of Buffalo, he, he has – he had multiple ways of getting to the quarterback. He had multiple tools on his tool belt. He just has to he just has to define them. You know, like Max Crosby, he came onto the scene his rookie year and what did he do? He had ten sacks. You know, he was able to get to the quarterback. He just he just found a way to get there, right? So it seems like he was just a little bit uh, ahead of more ahead of the curve than a Malcolm Kuntz was. But you could tell last year that he had a little something, something under the belt and that he could provide something. He just has to continue to grind. And so this training camp, you know, we talk about who we're going to watch, the offensive line, who we're going to be paying attention to, who's going to do this, that, and the other. Where's Jonathan Abram going to be playing? Of course, there's so many storylines going into training camp. For me, one of the big ones is going to be where is Malcolm Kuntz, who's he running with, and and, and consistently ask Patrick Graham, ask Josh McDaniels, ask, you know, any of, of the coaches that we can ask. What are you seeing from Malcolm Kuntz? Because I think that he's got a guy that's got a potential to be a big-time player. Yeah, Q, and to answer that for you, he only played 48 defensive snaps in his rookie season. Wow, there you go. 48 and had three sacks. <laughs> that's, not, that's not too bad. That's a pretty good little number right there, right? Not bad at all. So uh, 48 snaps. And if that dude can even, even double that this year, right? I mean, again, I'm not asking for the world, and I, I don't think that the Raiders need him to, to play a whole lot more than maybe double of that because I think that they have plenty of talent along that defensive line, and, of course, they're going to have a, a nice, healthy rotation going out there with Patrick Graham. So, uh, again, I'm not, he's not expected to be a guy that's just going to go out there and, and tear the league up, but if he can provide a little something, if he could take those three sacks and turn it into maybe five, just, just, a two, just two more, that would be, that would be a good – step in the right direction for a young guy on a four-year deal and then going into year three of his, uh, his contract and his career can all of a sudden be the dude or be a dude, right? That's just how I look at it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, no, that's good too. And also those 48 snaps, it only came in five games of play. So there's still more to be seen with right. having a full season under his belt. Right. So I agree. Just like if you, could, you said, like, oh, get him some more snaps, he's, he's got to double that. Let's say he's healthy. That's 17 games. And he's got to be that first edge rusher. If anybody needs a break, he's that first edge rusher off the bench, if you ask me. I think he's that guy that when it's third and long and you know exactly what you need, you need someone to get in there, pin their ears back, and get after the quarterback, I think that's the guy that you call, right? I think when it's you know short short yardage, I don't think he's going to be the first guy that you, you call in. But I do think that in certain situations, he'll be that guy. You know? and, and look, you see a lot of pass rushers in the, when their career is starting to come to an end and they get a little bit older where they're like, all right, this guy's the specialist. He's just going to get in there and rush the quarterback. Third and long? Get him in the game. Well, he obviously is not an old dude. He's not at the end of his career. But I think that they could still treat him in the same way where, okay, it's third and long, it's second and long, we need a big play. Malcolm, get in there and, and just pin your ears back and get after the quarterback. And he'll do a great job at it. That, that's just, again, that's just my gut feeling. But there could be games, depending on the, the team that the Raiders are playing and the situations, he might not even be dressed out. You know, I mean, there, there's, there's opportunities. I'm not saying he's going to play every single game and play a ton of snaps. He might. He might not. But – you know, I just think that he has a lot of upside. And, look, I'm, not, I'm singling him out just because I only asked for one player. But I think that there's multiple young guys on this team that you could get excited about. So that's why I want to throw it out there to you, 702-365-9200. Also, the Salmon Ash text sign, 69187, keyword R&R. What young player on the Raiders roster are you most excited about and why? Hit us up and let us know about it. Mailman Raiders said, Q, 
I'd have to say Divine Diablo. We haven't had a stun linebacker in a long time. That was a true Raider. Perriman is nice, but he isn't the future. I think Diablo has all the potential to be a stud. That is, a, is another intriguing guy to pay attention to, right? Divine Diablo, you saw him replace Corey Littleton. Now, in, in, you know, in all reality, Corey Littleton wasn't hard to replace because he wasn't out there doing much. But, but to Divine Diablo's credit, he earned the trust of the coaching staff to have him out there. And, and you know, he, he, he succeeded a lot. He failed a couple times. I mean, there was things that he would probably like to look back at and say, yeah, I could have done that better. But he was also a rookie. He was learning a new position, and he was just, you know, going on the fly. They put him out there when they felt comfortable with him being out there uh, on the regular, and I thought he did a pretty good job. I'm interested to see how he goes from, and this is why I didn't say Divine Diablo and I went with Koontz. I'm interested to see how his role changes, if it changes, under Patrick Graham. You know what I mean? Because, look, with, uh, with Koontz, I feel like the role's the same. You pin your ears back and you get after the quarterback. Like, that's, that's going to be his main job. That's his main objective. With, with, uh, with, with Divine Diablo, I just feel like it, it could be potentially a little bit different. Like, it may be a little bit more details into what he needs to do. Sometimes he's going to be assigned to, you know, chase down this tight end, or he may be assigned this or that, the other. You know what I mean? Like, I just think he's going to have more responsibility on his belt, so you might not be able to see his growth is as early as you'd like to. But I think Divine Diablo is a fine young man and a fine young talent to think about as, hey, this is going to be one of those guys in the future that could really be a real steal and a real stud for the silver and black. I know that you can't read too much into it, but I'm going to anyway. Okay. When Antonio Pierce, when he was up for his press conference at yeah. the podium, Devon Diablo was the first linebacker that he named. Right. This is the linebacker coach. He also mentioned Denzel after when he was talking about leaders in those rooms, in that, in that room, he mentioned Devon Diablo. Right. And it could just be a Freudian slip. He's like, hey, man, that was the first person that popped in my head. But he didn't say that. So I'm just going to speculate and say that he's showing something to that coaching staff that he's getting it. Well, I think that one of the things that Antonio Pierce really liked about Devon Diablo is his athleticism, you know, and, and he said that, you know, they don't make linebackers that look like me anymore. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fit in today's game, but a guy like Devon Diablo can, and I remember him specifically talking about him, so you're, you're right about that. Uh, obviously, Antonio Pierce likes what he sees from him. And that's a good thing. And I think that it even means more. That's one of my favorite coaches on the staff right now is Antonio Pierce, right? And I just think that he has that energy. Obviously, he's been there, done that. Does that necessarily mean he's going to be a great coach? No. But I think that he, he is a good coach. Uh, he did some good things while he was at uh, Arizona State with, uh, with Herm Edwards. So I, I think that he'll continue to grow as a, as a coach and, and being in the NFL and, you know, just having that, hey, I've been there, done that. And so these guys are going to listen to him and, and follow his lead. He, he, likes, he likes Divine Diablo. So, yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. But Raider Nation, I definitely want to hear from you. Uh, what young player on the Raiders roster are you most excited about and why? Before I get any further, I have to tell you about this, this match. It is going to a tiebreaker in the final set. Serena dropped set one, seven to five. She won set two, six to one. She just battled back. And, and tied it up in set three. It is 6-6, six, six, going to a tiebreaker. Tamon, it gets no more stressful for this. And I'll tell you this, and this will be the first thing that I ask Howard Bryant when we, to when we talk to him, and we'll be talking to him in a, in a few minutes. He's watching this as well. He's been, if you, want, if you go and check out his Twitter, he is commenting on everything that's happening. So, I mean, I'm telling you, folks are locked in on this first-round match right here in Wimbledon because, again, you don't know when someone like Serena is going to be back out there and – I mean, this could be the final time we ever see her at Wimbledon. So whatever she's doing right now is, is collecting a hell of an audience. I'm telling you, I would never start the show and talk 15 minutes on Wimbledon, but today is an exception. I don't, 
I don't care. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you this is uh, this is some great action right here. So if you're not a, a tennis connoisseur, I'm, I apologize. But man, this is something that you you want definitely want to be a part of. And and Demond, we got the uh, the uh, the the Wimbledon up on in the studio TV. Uh, you know, up here talking some Raiders football, but then at the same time being able to kind of glance up at the TV and and check out what's going on. This is this is good action right here. I'm excited about that. Are you learning anything? Are you learning anything today? Oh yeah, I'm learning a lot. I didn't know that you were the biggest Serena fan. Me and Toby, <laughs> the intern, we're watching it as well. You know, and it's a uh, Harmony Tan. That's uh, the opponent. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I, I, it, no disrespect to her. Oh, you must be ahead of me. Yep, you are ahead of me. See how you are. I can't stand it when somebody's ahead of me and then they react and I and then I react. But uh, there you go. She's up 2-0 in the tiebreaker right now. So don't react, especially if she loses. Don't react because I'm gonna be crushed. <laughs> But Raider Nation, hit us up, 702-365-9200, keyword R&R. That's the Savage text line. Sir Whiskey Ray said, Q, don't worry, I got this. Momentum is on my side here. Sincerely, Serena Williams and the guy who doesn't jinx outcomes in sports. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sir Whiskey Ray is the ultimate jinx when it comes to sports. He's the man who ruined the A's no-hitter. They end up losing the game. And now he just said that, oh, no, if Serena loses, Sir Whiskey Ray, you are 100% responsible for this. 100% responsible if she loses. Now, she's up 3-0 right now, so I'm feeling pretty good. But that don't mean nothing. Things could change quick, fast, and in a hurry. So, wow, that's, that's pretty, pretty incredible right there. So, uh, Raider Nation, again, the question I threw out there to you. And uh, don't call in right now because we do have a guest coming up, but I do would like to get your response on the Salmon Ass text line. And if you have a question that you'd like me to pass along to Howard Bryant, howardbryantbooks.com, you can find his book on Ricky Henderson. And he's done a lot of other books, too, that are great, fantastic pieces of work. But Ricky is my guy. So, Ricky, the life and legend of an American original, Howard Bryant. Again, howardbryantbooks.com if you want to check it out. I think it cost me like 33 bucks. Which is is great because it's going to go on the mantle. It's going to be a collector's item up here. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the addition of that book that will be arriving. Well, we'll talk all things about it. We'll do it next. Howard Bryant, he'll join the show. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Ricky goes, a pitch taken, he's going to have it. He does. Ricky Henderson, no contest, steals third base, jerks the bag from its moorings, and holds it aloft, representing number 939. Um the greatest of all time thank you welcome back to unnecessary roughness here's your boy q may 1st 1991 that was the day that ricky henderson proclaimed himself as the greatest of all time and well ladies and gentlemen he absolutely was and right now to talk about his book the life and legend of an all-american original is howard bryant and howard before we get into ricky's book i'm locked in on this serena First round match at Wimbledon. This is amazing. I know you're locked in as well. How, how are you staying calm? Just by watching the drama. I don't know if you're ahead of me enough, but size all in the third. Three hours for a first round match. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you sort of enjoy watching simply because you know that 10 years ago, five years ago, Serena would have wiped the floor with Harmony Tan, but that's what age does. That's how age is the great balancer, and that's why we get so caught up in watching these legends at so late in their careers right. and, and, <laughs> and watching to see if they can, if they still, 
if they still have their, if the physical can match the mental fight that they have. It's been a fascinating match. Oh, it's been it's incredible. It's an incredible match. I mean, I'm telling you, I started off the whole show talking about Wimbledon, which is never going to happen, but with Serena, it's just a different ball game. What does she mean to the sport of, of tennis, and what does she mean just for women athletics, what she's been able to do over her career? Well, I think what people don't pay enough, nearly enough attention to because we live in this culture where everybody's trying to think about who's next and everybody's trying to replace, you know, the, the one that we already have, and it's like... Serena Williams absolutely obliterated the record book. She's got 23 majors. The next closest is her sister with seven. (laughs) And when you look at the entire field, the entire field of active players, female players, has 26 majors. Serena's got 23 by herself. Wow. So when you think about what it means, one, it's just her dominance, but also if you're going to use the word legacy properly, there's also an entire generation of players, whether it's Danielle Collins, whether it's Naomi Osaka, whether it's, you know, the, you know, all of those European players who just flooded the sport. They're all playing because they were watching her. I mean, check this out for just a quick second, right? Serena turned pro 27 years ago. <laughs> she turned pro in 1995. That's so incredible. everybody watched her. Everybody is in- influenced by her. And the game is better when she's here, which is why we're watching a 40-year-old struggle in a first-round match, and we can't keep our eyes off of it. We cannot. Can't, you said it right there. Cannot keep our eyes off it. I'm so locked in. And it's a tie-break, and she just had an error. Oh, man, this is all yeah, bad. Yeah, 7 six, seven. Oh, so here's this. the other piece of this, too, which is fascinating, <laughs> is that it's not, in some ways it's not that different from – from, from the other greats, from watching Tiger Woods or, or, or the people that you know did not care at all about golf, but yet there they were on Sunday dressed in red. You know, were you watching? Are you watching the game or are you watching him? And Serena's the same way. The number of people I know, just like you just said, we're never going to be talking about tennis on this show again, but we're not watching tennis. We're watching her. Right. Absolutely. And now she's two points away from losing but <laughs> here we go but once again this is this is incredible theater yes i mean we would be laughing at this 10 years ago serena would have won this match one and two three you know 10 years ago five yeah. years ago Yep, it wouldn't even have been close. Would not even have been been close. close. Absolutely. Well, I just I knew that you were watching. I saw a couple tweets from you, so I had to get your thoughts on it as I'm sitting here stressed out. Phenomenal stuff. (laughs) Yes, it is. Phenomenal stuff. We're talking right now. And the mm -hmm. go ahead. Oh no, I just wanted to introduce you again. We're talking with Howard Bryant. You can find the Ricky Henderson book on howardbryantbooks.com. But go ahead, Howard. What were you going to (laughs) say? Oh, I'm just I'm just I'm watching this match. But I was thinking, you know, in some ways, you know, to segue in, it reminds me a lot of watching of Ricky, the way that people, this is why we watch. I do not like parody. I hate salary caps. I hate all of these artificial measures that people want to use. I come to watch stars. I'm here for the stars. I'm here for the dynasties. I'm here for the greatness. That's what I'm here for. And, you know, when you have these people, you know, they're rare. They're rare. They don't come along that often and harmony tan has double match point against serena williams oh man this is stressful this is so stressful but i was gonna say it's not that different from watching ricky 
where once again he's the guy you keep your eyes on. When Ricky was when Ricky was forty, my last year covering the A's. 19, I'm sorry, Ricky's last year with the A's. My first year covering the A's, 1998. You're looking at him, and here's a guy who absolutely. Oh, it's over. Oh, unbelievable. Serena loses 10-7 in the tie break. Oh, my goodness. That is incredible. That is incredible. Hats off to, to Harmony Tan, man. What a what a fight. Exactly. And, and wow. Right? Absolutely. But once again, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things where you're watching, and Ricky, everybody knew Ricky wasn't Ricky anymore. Right. You could throw a fastball by Ricky. And great players like Serena Williams, like Ricky Henderson, at that level, when you're that good, you don't stick around when you can suddenly get beat by chumps. They're too great for that. They're not used to that. So usually they walk. And what was amazing about Ricky was that he played his last six, seven, eight years no longer being the, great, the best player, no longer being the most dominant player, but he didn't make any excuses either. He just was out there, and it was really remarkable because most players wouldn't have stood for guys they used to wear out beating them. And so it was really sort of amazing because in Ricky's case, people always talked about this guy as the most selfish guy. He was the guy that, that didn't want to play. He was the guy who was all about himself and all of these things. But here you are watching this 40-year-old legend, 42-year-old legend, essentially sort of being humiliated in some ways, which told you that maybe he really loved the game more than people gave him credit for. Right. He loved the game and he dominated the game. Again, Howard Bryant is our guest. The book is called The Life and Legend of an American Original, Ricky. And Howard, just for all full disclosure, Ricky Henderson is my favorite athlete of all time. I grew up yeah, a huge Ricky, Ricky Henderson on. fan. I had every newspaper article he was ever in on my walls. I mean, I was that guy. When he broke the record, I think I cried. You know, I mean, that's how happy I was because of who Ricky was. He's a Bay Area guy, an Oakland guy, through and through. I'm a Bay Area guy. So it's just, there was so much to love about Ricky, but Howard, what made him so dominant? What was it about his edge that he had? Well, the beauty of Ricky is the supreme confidence in himself to play this game. And I was going to go, and I'm going to get into that in one quick second, but let's also not forget that Ricky wanted to be a Raider yep. more than anything else. Yep. Ricky wanted to be a football player, and even in the 80s, when it started to look like there were these new guys who were going to come in and do both, whether it was Brian Jordan or Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders, Ricky called Al Davis and was like, okay, I'm ready to be a two-sport guy too. I can do this. And it's, it's fascinating what could have been Bo Jackson and Ricky Henderson both playing two sports at the same time in the 80s. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that would have been incredible. But and his mom, a, his mom and grandmother didn't incredible. want him to play, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't let him play right. football. Yep. That, that's right. And what is also incredible about Ricky, you're asking me about what makes him what he was. Um, what made him what he was was the, the level of competition. I sat down with Ricky one day at spring training in Arizona a few years ago, and I remember asking him, what, when did you know you had world-class ability? And that's one of my favorite parts of the book where he talks about, I don't know, sixth grade, seventh grade. I'm like, Ricky, you were 10, 11. He's like, yeah. So here's a, as an 11-year-old, he knew he had world-class talent. And he just believed in that ability and could back it up at a very, very early age. And what was interesting about it to me 
was that it was happening at a time, you know, he had this at a time when most people in the game were, was, were criticizing him for not wanting to play harder, not doing this or that. And, and what made me laugh about it was the way Ricky said, Ricky said to me, how are you going to steal 1,400 bases if you don't want to be out there? How can you say, I don't want to play? I've been out there more than anybody for 25 years. Right. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Again, we're talking with Howard Bryant, talking about Ricky Henderson. He wrote the book, The Life and Legend of an American Original, talking about Ricky. And, you know, as I mentioned, a Bay Area native. I'm a Bay Area native. Uh, you know, he's an Oakland Tech guy. My mom was an Oakland Tech uh, young lady. Uh, how, how much did he personify what exactly the Bay Area, and more importantly, Oakland, California, was? Well, absolutely, Oakland style. And there's a, there is an Oakland style. Anybody who's ever been there or dealt with Oakland dudes, they, they know the difference. And for me, it was a really personal book, even though I'm from, I'm from Boston. I'm from 3,000 miles away. But my first, job, my first job was at the Oakland Tribune covering the Oakland Athletic League. So I got to go to Mac, and I got to go to Skyline, and I've got to go to Castlemont and Fremont and Tech and Oakland High and the rest of it. And you learn the lifeblood of that city through its high schools. And yep. you learn the way that those the, the way that those players play. They've got a legacy that they live up to that the rest of us don't. I grew up in Massachusetts. I can't, you know, we had one guy, you know, when one guy even made it to the minor leagues, you were excited for them. Oakland guys, it's a birthright. You come in, you got Bill Russell, Frank Robinson, Beta Pinson, Kurt Flood, then you got Dave Stewart, Ricky Henderson, you know, and Lloyd Mosby and Gary Pettis and the rest of them. So the younger kids look at those guys and they're like, well, if they can do it, we're next. Mm -hmm. So they have an unbelievable amount of confidence that a lot of places just don't have. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And uh, he, he represented in a major way. Again, we're talking with Howard Bryant here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920, talking about Ricky Henderson. And, you know, his swagger, you know, what made people angry about him when he would, you know, run around the bases and take his time after a home run or pop his collar. Look how much of that is in the game now. Howard, to me, it feels like Ricky was just even a, ahead of his time. Ricky was ahead of his time in so many different ways. And one of the most enjoyable things about writing this book was to be able to provide a corrective. People got angry with Ricky because Ricky took care of his body and he knew what he could do. If you go back and you look, look at the stats of Ricky's contemporaries. Tim Raines, done before his time as a base dealer. Vince Coleman, done before his time as a base dealer. You know, look at all those dudes and how they got run into the ground. Ricky only averaged 135 games a year, 140 games a year. Right. And he got criticized, and yet who was the last man standing? It was Ricky. And now today, when everybody back then was talking about how Ricky didn't want to play and they're criticizing his game, today they do load management. Now they're giving Mike Trout a rest. Now they're giving you know, all the big guys a rest because they have to protect their bodies. The same thing they criticized Ricky for, so he was way ahead of his time. Was there something in this book when you were writing it, when you were gathering all the information you needed for this book that stood out to you as that oh wow moment that you didn't even realize? Yeah. Um, once again, the, the thing that hit me that I didn't even believe was true was 1988-89, Ricky hits his 10th year in the big leagues, 11th year in the big leagues, and that's when you're eligible for the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And in those years... People didn't even talk about him like a locked first ballot Hall of Famer. They talked about him like an underachiever. 
And then you look back, and Ricky absolutely obliterated the record book. I mean, for example, Ricky played from 1979 rookie year to last at bat 2003. Okay? In 2001, the winter of 2001, right before the 2002 season, he joins the Boston Red Sox. From 1979, his rookie year, from the day he joined the Red Sox, he had stolen more bases than the Red Sox. <laughs> he stole it. more bases than an entire team. That's I mean, that's incredible. Babe Ruth stuff. Nobody can do that. Nobody does that. And so it makes you step back and go, oh, he is everything and more that anybody that thought he could be. The underachiever was actually the wildly overachiever. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. We got a text uh, asking, wanted me to pass along this question to you. Was there a pitcher that gave Ricky problems when he was on the base pass? He said, probably not, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there are plenty of lefty guys, you know, Scott McGregor and a lot of those old Baltimore lefties, Tippy Martinez, those guys trying to keep Ricky close. His biggest nemesis on the base pass was actually the catcher was Bob Boone, mm. the only catcher who, you know, Ricky was stealing on guys at an incredibly high percentage, 70, 80, 85%. Bob Boone, only around 56%. Bob Boone was Ricky's nemesis. Mm. There you go. That's a, that's a nice little nugget right there. That's one of the few nuggets that I didn't have, Howard. Again, I had so much knowledge on Ricky Henderson, man. That was my guy. I would, I would get in fights. I would get in arguments all the time uh, telling everybody how great Ricky Henderson was. And you know, the thing about it, Howard, is it wasn't just on the base pass. What he was able to do as a leadoff hitter, all those leadoff home runs, I mean, he's got records in the books right now that will never be broken, in my opinion. No one's ever going to break those records. No one's going to break 81 leadoff home runs. I mean, maybe somebody might break that one, considering you got Aaron Judge leading off these days. That right. one might, somebody might get that one. But 3,000 hits, 2,000 walks, 2,000 runs, and 1,000 plus stolen bases, forget it. Never yep. going to happen again. No, no, it really won't. And I'll tell you, Howard, uh, you'll be happy to know that uh, I ordered your book this morning. So uh, it is on the way. Uh, I've been seeing it and seeing you on Twitter talking about the book. And so I said, I got to hurry up and get it. And then when I found out my man DeMond told me you were going to be on the show, I was like, you know what? The, the best time to do this is right now. So I went and ordered the book this morning. So uh, I cannot wait to get it. And, and a great job with what you were able to put together. And thank you so much for the, uh, for the time this afternoon. I appreciate you. No, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. Will do. There he goes. That's Howard Bryant. The book is called The Life and Legend of All-American Original Ricky Henderson. And you can check it out, howardbryantbooks.com. That's how I ordered it today. Again, howardbryantbooks.com. It's real easy to get to the book, The Life and Legend of an American Original. My guy, Ricky Henley Henderson, born December 25th, 1958. 2.46 is the time. We'll come back, close out hour number one. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Did you see it? I saw the news. I know you saw the news. Oh, Kyrie Irving, you opted in after all. Took that money, didn't you? One-year deal, y'all. One year, $36.9 million. Exercises his player option. So what does that mean? To y'all, it means Kyrie's going to be a Brooklyn net. You know what it means to me? I guess he's a peon too, huh? Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here's your boy, Q. Stephen A. Smith right there talking about Kyrie Irving, the big news we found out about him yesterday. 
He's opting into his contract, $37 million he's going to make as opposed to maybe the $6 million he was going to make with the Lakers if, uh, if they had gone ahead and gave him that kind of a deal once he decided to opt out of his deal in Brooklyn. And he's no fool. He gave up $17 million a year ago, wasn't going to give up $30 million this year. Uh, it just kind of tells you where we are right now with Kyrie Irving, one of the most talented dudes in the league right now. But uh, when teams don't want to sign and trade for you because they're too concerned about who you are off the court, it, it says all that you really need to know. And, again, the dude's one of the most talented dudes on the court. Uh, he stands up for what he believes in. But these teams out there, they also believe in, yeah, uh, thanks but no thanks. So there was no suitors out there outside the Lakers, and the Lakers had nothing that uh, that the Nets wanted in return. Obviously, Russell Westbrook, he's another guy who opted into his contract today. Not a surprise, 47-point-something million dollars he opted into. And now they've got to figure out exactly – what to do with Westbrook and, uh, you know, make him a player that can help that team as they have expectations to go to the playoffs and make a deep run as LeBron's getting older in the tooth. A lot of NBA news going on with free agency about to get um, ramped up and get going, and we'll see where all these different players land and who they're helping out in the upcoming season. But just had a fantastic uh, 45 minutes worth of show, man. Started out the show on fire, talking about Serena Williams and Wimbledon. And by the way, Sir Whiskey Ray, you are the ultimate sports jinx. My man texted earlier in the show, Q, don't worry, I got this. Momentum is on my side here. Sincerely, Serena Williams and the guy who doesn't jinx outcomes in sports, and Serena lost. So it was a great match. It went to, I mean, it really doesn't get too much better than that, but to see uh, Serena bow out first round of Wimbledon tells you where she's at at 40 years old. But, uh, Sir Whiskey, Ray, I appreciate you anyway, even though, uh, yeah, you just, you just jinxed. Serena like you did and then he also responded fantastic interview of Howard Bryant as a uh, diehard A's fan and Ricky is my all-time favorite baseball player I absolutely love hearing Ricky's stories anytime we were able to get some insight on Ricky's playing days it's always a treat us listeners appreciate this interview with Howard good job DeMond on setting up this interview that's from Sir Whiskey Ray and yeah that was a fantastic job by DeMond when he told me that he was uh, going to be on the show man I just about did a backflip and I'm not a gymnast I got so excited about that because man again as I mentioned that is my all-time favorite athlete favorite player uh, everything. It was all about Ricky Henderson. I swore up and down I was Ricky growing up when I was playing baseball. I thought that that, that was me. I was a, I thought I was going to be Ricky, but obviously I wasn't. But, yeah, uh, Sir Whiskey Way, I appreciate that interview as well. Coming up a little bit later on the show, we have at the top of the hour, we have John McClain, formerly the Houston Chronicle. We'll talk all things NFL. Of course, we'll lead off with some Deshaun Watson conversation and what's going on with him with the disciplinary hearings. But we also have coming up on the show today, Two tickets to WWE's Money in the Bank. It's going down this weekend. That's July 2nd, MGM Grand Garden. You want to go, we've got your tickets. Uh, you can check out your tickets if you want to go buy some right now, AXS.com. You can find them, but we'll have your tickets coming up in the next hour. That is going to be for Money in the Bank. Damon, uh, give me a little preview since I don't know too much about the WWE and you are the man when it comes to the fight game. Matter of fact, you have your own show called The Fight Game. So tell us about WWE Money in the Bank. What do I need to know about it? All right, it's going to be a pay-per-view, and you have the men's and the women's money in the bank match, and there is a briefcase high above the ring in this ladder match that's going to have eight competitors. If you get the briefcase, you win the match, and you have a contract that you can cash in on any champion you want at any time across WWE. So that's what these competitors are going to be competing for. So they're competing for a chance to compete against the champion. Yes, but you have the contract anywhere you want. So the times that it's cashed in, it's the most opportune time. Let's say the champion just has a grueling match. They win, they win. You come out at the end of the show, start the match right there. You beat them one, two, three. You didn't have to put in any work. Oh, so, I mean, you can, they can immediately challenge them to a, to a, 
to a, a match. Yeah, I remember uh, Toby was at this one as well. In 2016, there was one. So you Don't have... tell me Toby is a wrestling fan, oh, too. Oh, Toby, get on the mic, Toby. Oh, no. Oh, no. I had so high a hopes for Toby. Toby, you remember 2016? Dean Ambrose comes from Toby. under the ring. He came from under the ring and then hits his finish and wins. The crowd was shocked. Toby, how, tell, him, tell him about it. It was the most iconic moment in Money in the Bank history. <laughs> All three members of the Shield held the title at once. I remember as a little kid, I was just screaming in the crowd. I was going crazy. My cousin was uh, in the crowd, too. We were both super excited. It was one of the best moments in WWE history. Wow. All right. There he goes. Boom. Toby. Shout out to Toby, man. Uh, uh, Toby's, Toby's my guy. What school does uh, Toby go to again? He's a football player. What school does he go to again? Tell us about uh, it. I go to Faith Lutheran High School. Nice, nice. And you're not, you were doing, uh, what, two-a-days not too long ago, right? Was it, what, last week or two weeks ago playing football? What do you say? Said, I said, oh, he said you were doing two a days. You ain't gave him no you, headphones. You were oh, doing man. no. I just told him to hop on the mic. I know you're gonna ask him follow ups. <laughs> well, now you're asking about Faith Lutheran two a days. I'm asking about his football team, man. Hey, I gotta support the youth, man. So how, ask him how's Faith Lutheran gonna do this year, or let him just listen to me. How's Faith Lutheran gonna do this year, man? What's the football team looking like? Uh, we're looking pretty good. We got a good unit this year. Um, we're really close, so um, I'm excited to see how my senior year pans out, and hopefully, we can make a deep playoff run. There you go. That's my guy, Toby, right there. Going to make a deep run his playoff year for Faith Lutheran. And uh, he's interning with us at the radio station. So shout out to my guy, Toby, who clearly is a WWE fan as well. 2.56 is the time. When we come back, we'll kick off hour number two of the show. John McClain, formerly of the Houston Chronicle, will join us to talk all things NFL. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.